Dapper Dan was a very handy man. The men of the press corps were civil to each other. They had been following this story for nearly a year. Its premature conclusion had shocked them. They needed all the information they could gather. Terrible thing to have happened. Terrible. My editor said it was a well-known fact she was suffering from tertiary syphilis. My editor said that when they opened her up for the operation, they found she was three months pregnant. My editor said she had a death wish, had all her pugs put down the day before she died, and then spent £2,000 of HM's money at Cartier. Our man in Washington said a chap at the FBI said she'd been bumped off by MI6. On a pond a quarter of a mile away, a pair of swans settling themselves on the surface of the water like pieces of origami. Jingling along the tarmac road from the village, a landau pulled by grey horses. Some scraps of confetti, left over from a wedding, staring up incongruously from the grass. One or two genuine celebrities began to arrive. A famous Bond Street couturier, Lady Furness, magnanimous in black. Major Metcalf, inscrutable in a top hat. The press corps looked on with respectful interest. Wasn't she the one who started it all in the first place, asking her to look after him while she was away on holiday? I heard there was money changed hands, pimping for the heir to the throne, you might say. That's pitching it a bit strong, surely? Not as strong as my editor wanted to pitch it, only he thought he'd have trouble with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Either of the ex-husbands here? Haven't seen them. You'd have thought Mr. S would be here. Perhaps they smuggled him in through the vestry with the choir boys. Lady Colfax, Lady Cunard, a continental royal or two whose names no one could remember. The Sankport Warden. A fellow told me they were bearing her at Frogmore. Frogmore? Heaven knows how they got permission for that. Well, he's the king, isn't he? He doesn't need permission. Even so, Frogmore? The Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, Vice the Governor, indisposed. The Leader of the Labour Party, Mr Chamberlain and his flaxen-haired son. And finally, making a great deal of noise on the gravel, preceded by a motorcycle outrider, a funereal pennant flying on its prow, the hearse. Will you look at that? A coronet of lilies. There's a piece of cheek. Would they be Baltimore lilies, do you suppose? Ask Schenectady over there. He's an American, he'll know. They were Welsh lilies, sent up that morning from Pembrokeshire. The rain continued to drip over the reporters' notebooks, obstructing their attempts at shorthand. It was nearly twenty-five past two. The noise of the bell had ceased. Inside the church, organ music had begun to sound. Somehow, there was a sense that a vital part of the jigsaw had yet to be fitted into place, that church, mourners, coffin, cameramen were as nothing in its absence. Then, at last, so haltingly that its passage along the asphalt lane might have been a slow-motion shot from a cinema film, another car came gradually into view. So he's come, then. He could hardly have stayed away in the circumstances. Even so. Even so. The bell had begun to clang again. Three fields away the rooks stirred uneasily. The policeman, no longer conferring but straight-backed and attentive, saluted wildly. The car looked as though it might be going to proceed all the way to the church door and then thought better of it, rocked a little on its chassis and came to a halt. And so they buried Wallace Warfield of Baltimore, lately of Claridge's Hotel, 
formerly the wife of Lieutenant Earl Winifred Spencer, and subsequently of Mr. Ernest Simpson, after whose death, like a great medieval siege engine grinding into gear, slowly yet inexorably a vast many things happened that would almost certainly not have taken place had she lived. Mrs. Simpson's Death By whatever yardstick one chooses to evaluate it, Mrs. Simpson's death can only be regarded as a tragedy of the first order. To her circle of intimate friends, it is an unmitigated hurt. To the much larger collection of persons who knew her in society, it will be a source of unaffected sorrow. To the king who hoped to make her his wife, it is an appalling blow. We cannot pretend to have liked Mrs. Simpson, or thought her influence anything other than injurious, but the fact remains that her passing encourages a substantial number of people to reflect on the transience of human affairs and the undoubted truth.